0: I, I, the media hypocrisy this morning, the outrage over this, just welcome. It's Eric Erickson here. Outrage, outrage galore today from the media over the justice department doing its job. Uh, it is Eric Erickson across the state of Georgia. The phone number eight seven seven nine seven eric 877-973-7425, uh, just so you know, um. Here, uh, it is six after the hour, nine in the morning. Just if you're listening on a delay somewhere, I, I I need to set that up for you. I don't often do this, but feel the need to do it right now. Very heavy rain is moving into the state of Georgia. It is going to consume uh, all of North Georgia. If you are in Rome right now, you are in the middle of it, uh, but you've got heavier stuff coming into Rome. Uh, it's across the Alabama line right now, um, but you've got very heavy rain coming in. I <laughs> Uh, from downtown Rome, the the real heavy stuff. It's about sixteen point six miles from you. Uh, again, it's it's now. I'm looking at the clock. It's it's seven uh, after the hour right now. If you're in um if you're in Dalton and Jasper, and for those of you outside the state of Georgia, you'll have to forgive me. The show is predominantly in Georgia, and I want to, want to take care of my Georgia audience right now and let them know these storms are coming in. It is very very heavy rain. Uh, Jasper is on the outer edge of it. The the rain will be impacting Jasper here in just the next few minutes. Downtown Jasper is about 5.4 miles from the outer edge of this. It'll be light in there. Dalton, uh, you are consumed in it right now, and you're about to come out of it for a little bit. But you're going to get some more rain here in a little while. If you're over in the, um, uh, if you're in the. Clarksville area. You are pro it's going to be several hours. It looks like before it gets to you, but it's going to be very heavy when it does Athens as well. You're going to be getting rain. If you're on the South. Um, if you're listening down in Valdosta right now, you're in the clear and you will be, uh, Vidalia as well in the clear. Um, middle Georgia y'all are in the clear for right now you're going to get it over the weekend in fact my son has a soccer game uh tomorrow morning and we're expecting it to be canceled because of the rain moving kind of is it is it bad that I want my kids soccer game canceled in the morning so that I can sleep in is that selfish dad of me I don't know but it is very rainy right now uh, and it's going to stay so temperatures were warm in Georgia this morning And, uh, it's for the rain coming in. And then once the rain does come in, then temperatures are going to begin to fall afterwards. Um, right now it is 64 in Clarksville, 70 degrees in Rome. Oh wait, nope, nope. Sorry. Uh, took it a minute for the radar update. 57 in Clarksville and Rome right now. Uh, 55 in Adairsville. Um, and in Carrollton it is 57 Uh, Pretty much in the 50s everywhere. Now we can move into the national stuff. I I wanted to get that out of the way for for the Georgia folks because I'm here in Georgia too in Macon and the storms, they are a-coming and it's going to get nice and cool here uh, after the weather goes. It was cold in my house yesterday. We had to turn the heat on for the first time this year Uh, and then it kind of went down, uh, which is good. It's going to be rainy all through the week uh, here in Georgia. Okay, so now that we've got that out of the way, The White House finally was able to get the Justice Department to do what the president wanted the Justice Department to do, and that was to fire up a criminal inquiry into its own Russia investigation. The New York Times is beside itself with this. I mean, beside itself. I don't know why. Let me tell you what uh, William Barr did. I, you know the two least understood politicians in America today, I think, are Lindsey Graham and William Barr. And you know, let, let me let me step back for just just as an aside, and we'll get to this. Lindsey Graham has this. Impeachment resolution in the Senate, uh, where 46 now Republican senators have come forward and said they condemn the House impeachment process. They want it out of the shadows. They want it in public. They don't like the process. Here's the thing um, I, I think this is an Admiral Akbar moment uh, for the Trump administration. I really do. Um, I think that this is a situation where Lindsey Graham is doing this and it can allow these Republicans cover later. Yes, it's a trap, Admiral Ackbar. You see, Graham behind the scenes really isn't a fan of, of the president, but I think Graham has had to do what Graham has had to do because Graham wants to get things done and he's in South Carolina and South Carolina went overwhelmingly for President Trump and so Graham's got to navigate a course as best he can and if that includes making a fool of himself on TV, Graham is willing to make a fool of himself on TV in order to be able to advance his agenda and be able to have some persuasion of the President when it comes to things like Syria and the Kurds, which Lindsey Graham was able to do. Lindsey Graham got access to the President um, because of Lindsey Graham's otherwise uh, perceived loyalty to the President. So Lindsey Graham can come out with this impeachment resolution and have four 36 Republicans uh, stand for it, and then when the Democrats do bring everything to the light of day, as Lindsey Graham demands they do, if there's a there there, Lindsey Graham can say, "Oh, well, we didn't know any of this. It's it's they they did what we said. It's public. This is serious." I don't know that that's going to happen, but I just this has an Admiral Akbar moment uh, to me. But uh, William Barr is in the same situation. William Barr is a grown-up. William Barr is something lacking in Washington these days. He is a mature individual who cares deeply for his country, has a track record of high regard and high respect on Capitol Hill, and has entered the Trump administration. And as what so often happens in these situations, uh, William Barr is now being savaged by Democrats for daring to be a loyal lieutenant for Donald Trump. But look at what William Barr is doing. William Barr is allowing the president to scratch certain itches because the president desperately needs to scratch certain issues, itches and then showing that not a whole lot of the situation is different before he scratched the itch. So what William Barr has done in this situation is he has hired John Durham. John Durham is highly regarded and highly respected right now. Well, he's about to be, have his character assassinated by the media. But Durham is uh, the, the U.S. attorney in Connecticut. Durham has a reputation for shutting down the mob. He's the guy who investigated the CIA torture situation. So he's got street cred with the Democrats there. He's broken up mafia rings. Uh, he, he's, uh, he is well-known, highly regarded, and Democrats have loved him in the past. So William Barr has put this guy in charge of the operation. So the Democrats can't attack John Durham. They can't do it. And the reason they can't attack John Durham is because John Durham has a history of undermining the credibility of Republican administrations, as he did on the CIA torture memo. John Durham's existence during the Bush administration was a thorn in the side of Bush administration officials, and the Democrats loved him for it. That's who William Barr put in charge of this. You can see the chess pieces being moved on the board, can't you? William Barr puts John Durham in charge of this, who the Democrats have high regard for, who is known to have investigated Republican presidencies in the past and Republican officials. He's been known to break up mob rings. He's a a straight shooter. So to the president, it appears that William Barr has put his top man on the investigation. To the Democrats, he's put in charge a man willing to go after Republicans, so he's clearly a straight shooter. So what happens when John Durham turns something up? Well, Durham has converted his investigation into a criminal investigation, and that matters. The reason is because right now, until it became a criminal investigation, the only thing John Durham could possibly do was ask people to voluntarily come forward and talk to him and review government documents. Now it's a criminal investigation, and John Durham is able to subpoena people and put them on record and get them under oath and have them tell him the truth. We already know there were questions about Lisa Page and Peter Strzok. Mike Flynn's legal team has come out and said that Lisa Page edited his conversation with the, with the FBI to make it look like he lied when he didn't. Okay, so let's get Lisa Page and Mike Flynn under investigation. What happens if John Durham reindicts Mike Flynn? Because it turns out Lisa Page didn't edit the transcript. What what happens then? Well, the president realizes that Mike Flynn played him. But what happens if he indicts Lisa Page and, and Peter Strzok? What happens if he does that? As, as the president's supporters believe something there, that we've got a straight shooter, the Democrats are coming after him, all the president's uh, men are defending John Durham. You've got all the president supporters defending John Durham. They're banking their hopes on John Durham. Are, are they all of a sudden going to flip on John Durham when he doesn't give them what they want? Now, some of them certainly will. We see this all the time. Someone is a, is a Trump acolyte. The moment they criticize the president, they're thrown under the bus. We will certainly see that with some, but not with most. With a lot of them, they will have to say, hmm, maybe, maybe there really isn't a there there. So many people in Washington, D.C. have hung their hats on conspiracy theories, and I'm not talking about the Republicans. This is a bipartisan situation. So many people have hung their hat on conspiracy theories. The Democrats believe by faith, by faith, it is not a factual belief. We know this from the Mueller report. It is by faith. Democrats believe, they believe that the Russians and the Trump campaign collaborated to steal the election, and Bob Mueller says that is not so, and by faith, they still believe it. So many Republicans are convinced that the Democrats went out via the uh, Obama administration and got the Christopher Steele dossier and used FBI resources to advance the Christopher Steele dossier, to drive investigations off the Steele dossier and move forward. So here comes John Durham to call BS on both sides or not, or only on one side. And I think it's very telling as to which side may get hurt. Because it's the media out there really upset by this. In fact, you know which segment of the media are the ones most vocally opposed to John Durham moving forward? It's the ones who use the Steele dossier. Now, I have long said the Steele dossier was not as big a deal as people expected it to be. It was designed to undermine the president, but the president still won. So it wasn't a very effective document, but the Democrats have still tried to dribble information out of it to continue to perpetuate the narrative that it wasn't that Hillary Clinton was a terrible candidate. It was that Donald Trump was in league with the Russians. And to that extent, it does need to be exposed. And I find it very notable that some of the reporters who are the loudest people opposed to John Durham now looking into this with a criminal investigation are the reporters who most relied on the Steele dossier to try to destroy Donald Trump. There's an outside Democratic group, Fusion GPS. You've probably heard about it, it it, it exists in conspiracy corridors on the right as uh, the be all end all of opposition research, uh, supposedly George Soros funded among other things, fusion GPS actually is a bad group. Fusion GPS is a group that uh, does opposition research on Republicans. And a lot of the people who work for fusion GPS are reporters. And a lot of the people most friendly to fusion GPS are Washington reporters and they all hate Republicans and they've created this feedback loop where they can funnel information to each other and get it into the media uh, because the fusion GPS is treated credibly. The information can be BS, but they can say, look, who my source is oh is there from fusion gps they're top notch let's run the story who cares if it's true we got it from fusion gps and that's what happens and it's a cyclical thing it happens repeatedly it always happens against republicans and here comes a highly regarded investigator who now has a criminal investigation and subpoena power who can't bring in reporters. And this is the key here. He's not going to bring in the reporters and demand their sources. He can't do, I mean, he can try, but he's going to get nowhere with this and he's not going to do that. But you know, the fusion GPS guys have refused to, to speak candidly to Congress. He could go there. He could go ask them questions. And when they take the fifth amendment they're not criminalizing themselves, but he certainly knows there's a there there if they're going to refuse to talk. And he can dig more and seek more information. And that ultimately is why so much of the media is outraged, because they know the gravy train of anti Trump nonsense is coming to an end. There are a lot of stories out there about the President of the United States that are absolutely true. This President had an affair with a woman while his current wife was pregnant with her son. He absolutely did. And that's a story that's out there. But this president did not engage in sordid behavior while in Russia, and the media has floated that rumor for years, and the Mueller report says we know that's not true. It, it, that tape exists, but it's a fraudulent tape, and yet the media has continued to per- drop these hints of the story. Oh, there really must be something out there with the Russians. We know that's not true. There are plenty of stories to focus on on this president. The, the, the fact is, though, most people don't care. I mean, the president of the United States was caught on video saying he could grab women by you-know-what you, you know what, and, and do with as, as he pleased and kiss them. And the American people still elected him over Hillary Clinton. That was not the Russians stealing the election. That was because the Democrats elected or nominated a terrible, awful candidate. And they've never gotten over it. And they've constructed a mythology. And that mythology was based on Democratic operatives willing to peddle smears and lies and potentially FBI agents willing to participate. And let's say none of it's true. Let's say there was no grand conspiracy. There was no democratic motivation behind the Steele dossier. There, Lisa Page and, and, and Peter Strzok didn't do anything wrong. James Comey and Andrew McCabe were saints and angels. Let, let's say all that's there too. Well, there's no better person than John Durham to find that as well. But the fact that the media is screaming like it's dreaming suggests that John Durham is going to find something that the media finds inconvenient because it burns media sources and the media will finally have to say, yes, this guy was the source of this hit job on the president that turns out wasn't true. So the vice president of the United States, Mike Pence, has gone after the NBA and Nike uh, over their fealty to China. Uh, he should be commended for it. But, man, some people are upset. Here, Here's the vice president at a speech last night.
1: Nike promotes itself as a so-called social justice champion. But when it comes to Hong Kong, it prefers checking its social conscience at the door. Nike stores in China actually removed their Houston Rockets merchandise from their shelves to join the Chinese government in protest against the rockets general managers seven-word tweet which read fight for freedom stand with hong kong and some of the nba's biggest players and owners who routinely exercise their freedom to criticize this country lose their voices when it comes to the freedom and rights of the people of china inciting with the chinese communist party and silencing free speech The NBA is acting like a wholly owned subsidiary of that authoritarian regime. A progressive corporate culture that willfully ignores the abuse of human rights
0: is not progressive, it is repressive. Amen, Mike Pence. It's not progressive, it's repressive. Well, you know who takes issue with the vice president. That would be one Charles Barkley. Well, let me say this. (laughs) First of all, man... Vice President Prince needs to shut the hell up, uh, number one. All American companies are doing business in China. All American companies are doing business in China. I thought the criticism uh, of Commissioner Silver and LeBron James was unfair. Listen, Darryl Morey, who I like, he should have, he can say whatever he wants to, but there are consequences. But I don't understand why these wholly endowed politicians if they so want to worry about China, won't they stop all transactions with China? President Trump has been taught and been arguing with tariffs for China for the last two years. But I think it's unfair for them to do all their business in China. And just because this thing happened, try to make the NBA and our players look bad. All American companies do business in China, period. That's not true. You know, one company that doesn't do f- business in China? Facebook doesn't do business in China, and Facebook is not alone. There are a growing number of companies trying to move stuff out of China. Frankly, I was told last week after I blew up Apple about this that Apple would gladly get out of China if it could, and it would love to move uh, manufacturing to Brazil or India, but it's a long way off from being able to do so. So Apple's in a dangerous position when it comes to China, but others can get out of there. Remember, Google has walked walked back its search engine in China as well. And uh, Barkley, I, I think, is wrong overall because he views all of this from a money-making aspect. Uh, Barclay seems to have disconnected morality from money, which is a problem in the communist regime as well, that they view the free markets as somewhere for the communists to get rich. There was actually a, a uh, story yesterday where a Chinese family in Hong Kong has given $5 billion to their 20-something son. Five? No, I'm sorry, it's $3.5, $3.5 billion to their 20-something son. Uh, Wow. Um, Who has participated in the anniversary of the People's Republic of China as well. So a billionaire communist. Um, The problem here is that the reason Pence is going after the NBA is because the NBA tried to silence people over China. And they're an American company refusing to support free speech. Other companies, even those in China, aren't doing that. It is Eric Erickson here, and yes, the phone number is eight seven seven nine seven Eric eight seven seven nine seven three seven four two five. Although the phone lines are closed right now, um, and I have no idea why. I, I suspect my call screener is is home with child. So uh, we'll we will we'll get to phone calls. Just be patient. Um, just, I, I wasn't even going to talk about this. But during the break, I, I just put up a tweet, and and I am going to talk about it. Um, the Washington Examiner has released the transcript of a call with Kellyanne Conway, uh, in which Kellyanne Conway blasts a reporter for dragging her husband into a story about Kellyanne Conway. Kellyanne Conway is uh, being considered for White House Chief of Staff, and... It is a big deal that her husband is one of the leading critics for, against the president of the United States. I mean, George Conway is using his clout on social media to destroy the president as best he can. And Kellyanne was livid with the reporter and tore into her. And thought it was off the record. And the, the, the um, reporter at one point says, do you want to go on the record with this? And Kellyanne declines, which suggests she really did. The, it was off the record and that the reporter conveyed it as such. Um, but uh, the rules in Washington are fairly clear these days. Presume that everything off the record is on the record. And unless they specifically tell you that you're going to be off the record, presume that you're on the record. And I've had these weird phone calls with some reporters in the past where um, you're on the record, off the record, on the record, off the record, off the record, off the record, on the record, off the record. And and the reporters have, have uh, to their credit, called me back uh, later and said, I just want to be clear, was this on or off the record? And and we've talked. But the presumption these days has to be, with such a hostile media environment around you, that everything is on the record. Even the stuff that's off the record is going to leak out, probably. So you got to be careful. Um, Kellyanne was understandably enraged, though. Um, and she attacked the reporter and I, I gotta say, I know Kelly, I, I don't really know George. Well, I've known Kellyanne Conway for a very long time. In fact, I took my son up to DC in July and we hung out with Kellyanne, uh, in the vice president's office for a while. She's just a super person. I I genuinely like Kellyanne Conway and have for years liked Kellyanne Conway, um, and, I, marriage is hard. Marriage is a hard thing, um, and it's really appalling to see two people joined by God under such an assault from all sides. Uh, there are conservatives out there who think Kellyanne needs to throw her husband under the bus, and there are progressives out there who think George needs to throw his wife under the bus. There are tweets that George utters uh, where people oh he's talking about his wife today. Um, the, the media reports breathlessly on the goings on. It, it can't be easy. It cannot be easy. And instead of cheering on the difficulties in a marriage over and particularly over politics and job, uh, people should instead be um, praying for them and for the success and health of their marriage and for their children. Uh, it's no easy thing for a family to go through this. And, and, you know, I've, I've been through the whirlwind with my family. Uh, we, we had people show up on our doorstep to threaten us in 2016. And that was no easy thing. It was no easy thing for me when my family wanted to know why I was on the radio. Um, and the things that I was saying was getting our family harassed. My kids really wasn't going to go here. Um, my kids were really, really bullied in 2016 at their private Christian school. We thought putting them in a private Christian school would make them safe uh, and would keep keep the world at bay, so to speak. Um, and it didn't it it was really bad for my kids in 2016 and and for those of you who don't know i I'm I i did not support the president in 2016 and I didn't because i I really take my faith seriously and and sometimes not seriously enough and I'm trying. And I was really appalled in 2016 with the president's behavior and with Hillary Clinton's behavior. And I just said, you know, I, I'm a political guy. I've never not voted. I'll vote third party. But I, I can't vote for Hillary Clinton. She's she's awful. But I, I can't vote for him either. I, I didn't think he was better than her. And he's, he's proven me wrong in a lot of fronts. And that's why I told him. And I did tell him himself that I would vote for him in 2020. And. And. He's he's wound up giving way more conservative policy and been a better pro-life president than I ever expected. But 2016 was bad. And my kids, I, I finally decided the thing that really drove me to be up front with where I was leaning in 2020 was my daughter came into my office one day. It's been, I don't know when I said I would vote for the president in February of this year, I guess I, I wrote it. And I think it was sometime in in January, there was the government shut down stuff and and all the fighting and everything. And my 14-year-old came in and she said, are we going to have to move schools again? And I asked her what she meant. And she said, well, are we going to have people show up at the House to threaten us again or are we going to have to move schools because of you and the president? And I said, no. I would take care of it, and that that was when I decided I needed to, I, I was already given the Gorsuch fight, and then the Kavanaugh fight, really. The Kavanaugh fight is what really really pushed me further there. Uh, and then the president did fight for the tax cuts and, and all that. I just decided, you know, let me go on and, and take this off the table. It'll get me blown up by other people, but it'll let my kids sleep well at night to go on and, and get this out there and politics is hard these days and it was it was hard in 2016 my wife in large part sheltered me from what was going on because she agreed with with my position she she agreed that someone needed to be out there and say what a lot of other people might be thinking but weren't in a position to say and a lot of people who even supported the president were thinking privately about his character and and the flaws there but didn't feel like they could say it someone needed to say it and you well, know, she, she's got cancer and she's going to church in 2016 and, and a woman in church tells her she wants to, she's never gotten right with going to church since the kids were going to school and kids were coming up to him and who had been their friends and would no longer be their friends. And said, it was because of me, other kids in school would come up to him and say that uh, their parents thought I was going to get shot or wished I got shot or the kids themselves wished I would get shot. They were coming home and crying in the car on the way home. They had a 10-minute ride home, and their mother was was taking them to get treats to calm down and dry their eyes before they got home, so I would never see. I had no idea this stuff was going on. I didn't know this was going on. My my first clue to it was we were in a store, and a man saw me and my kids and, and approached, and I'm used to people doing this now. People know who I am. I'm on TV. I'm on radio. Uh, I was on city council in Macon. We live in Macon. And so I'm a recognized figure, and I just assumed the person was going to come up, and, and he pivoted towards my kids. And I knew something was wrong, and he began yelling at my kids. Began yelling at my kids that their father was destroying the country, that he was supporting Hillary, which I wasn't doing. People just came unhinged. They were mad at me because they felt betrayed because they thought I was one of them and shared their worldview. And by and large, I did share their worldview, but I, I, I interpreted through the lens of our worldview things differently. And they were really mad at me. And I got it. I never filed police charges on the three guys who showed up at our house. And a lot of people, frankly, didn't want to believe the story because I didn't want I didn't file police charges, but I just, I knew they were pissed off that they showed up to threaten my family. And I was concerned that they took the time to find where I lived and to show up on my front porch and to threaten my family. And it wasn't a, it wasn't a physical violence threat. It was the threat of, oh, we're going to ruin you. We're going to drive you from the radio. We're going to drive you from TV. We're going to put you out of business. That sort of threat. It wasn't a threat of violence. They were just pissed off, and, and I get that. And I understand people are angry now. I understand that people are really, really angry. In fact, in the next hour, I, I want to get into this. There's, there's polling out for the Battleground Poll, a highly respected poll that two-thirds of the country thinks we're on the verge of a civil war. And, and I get it from the anger of people. But man, y'all, this earlier this year when my daughter came in and it was probably ten o'clock at night, I think it was at night. And I was sitting in my where I, I'm sitting in the chair I'm sitting in right now, and she comes in and, and she just wants to know, are we gonna have to move schools again? Are we gonna have people show back up? Are we gonna have to have security at our house? We had security in 2016 for several months, and there was just no way my heart broke. I was responsible for that in 2016. I took what I thought was a principled stand and, and it was causing my kids to be, my kids are now at a different school, at a, at a smaller Christian school uh, than the one we were at. Uh, the one we were at had become very, very worldly. Uh, they're now at a, a Christian school where good Lord, they, they've gotta learn the catechism. They, they when instead of learning a memory verse, they gotta learn a memory chapter of the Bible, a memory song of the Bible. It, it, it's intensive Christian education. But politics invades there too. And she was worried about she's in a good spot now. She's made new friends. She's fourteen. She's got a stable group of friends. She likes her school. She's doing well in math, and she didn't want to move. She didn't want security at the house. She didn't want people showing up and threatening us or harassing them at the grocery store. You know, my kids don't like to go in public with me anymore. We were at Linux Mall in Atlanta, and a lady who's a supporter, uh, she, the the lady who is a supporter saw me and started screaming my name and, and charged towards us. And this is after all the security stuff. And and my youngest actually thought we were going to be hurt. He thought we were about to be attacked because all he knew was that when people approached me, it was to either yell at them or threaten us. And to this day, he, he won't go back to, this is now two years ago. This was 2017 and he won't go to the mall with me doesn't like to he's not comfortable doing it that's what we went through and so yeah i'm, I'm happy to to make sure people understand where i'm standing publicly with the president right now and, and who knows i mean honestly if the evidence is overwhelming that the president did try to use his power to get a foreign country to investigate joe biden to hurt him in 2020 then yeah i think i would have to support impeachment and and who knows just started this show It'll burn all down to the ground have my kids threatened again Um, but I think principle matters and I don't think there are enough people with principle these days. I I think principle matters and you got to take a stand and sometimes it's an unpopular stand, but you got to do what you think is the right thing. And I think the right thing is to not stand for a politician, but stand for the constitution and stand for principles and try to stand for truth and find truth if you can. But until that comes and until that day, then I, I mean, given what's going on with the left these days, the insanity of the left, you're damn right. I'll support the president. I'll hold my nose if I have to, but uh, if it's him or them, listen, I went third party in 2016 and the president still got elected. People told me Hillary would get elected if I didn't support him. I didn't. He got elected. He proved me wrong in many aspects, proved me right in a lot of aspects. I I still think Republicans are are about to, to be annihilated at the polls looking at the polling. I, I think a short-term victory, long-term disaster for the GOP right now if the president can't change his ways to some degree. But I, I'll stand with him against uh, the people who want to shut down my churches and take my guns. Elizabeth Warren is out there right now saying that. I've got that audio. I'll play it. It's a very convoluted path to, to go from where I went to, to there, but I'll, I'll bring it full circle. Um, and again, I didn't intend to talk about this, but seeing the people cheer on a fight that they perceive as happening between Kelly and Conway and her husband, uh, these are two people who fundamentally disagree about the president, and they're joined by God in marriage. And it is a, it, it's an awful thing to see people out there cheering that on, cheering on that division, uh, cheering on anything they perceive as passive aggressiveness between husband and wife. They've got kids. I can assure you my wife protected me from everything we were going through in 2016 and my kids were going through it. And I just didn't know. I can assure you that, that Kellyanne and George's kids are going through it. People get so interested in the soap opera politics. They forget they're real human beings involved. There are real people. There's a real family. And, regardless of whether the call between Kellyanne Conway and the reporter was supposed to be off the record or not, uh, she presumed that it was. It's very clear she presumed that it was. But turning this into a soap opera story of George versus Kellyanne and all, I think is it's it's offensive to me because it shows we are willing to soap operize uh, these families and, and politicize these families and not recognize that in a day and age where everybody is divided on politics and my kids get yelled at in a grocery store and people show up at our home to threaten us because they disagree. Here's a husband and wife who very clearly disagree on politics these days. And they're sticking it out and we should be saying more of that, please. People who disagree on things should be able to uh have relationships and encourage each other and encounter each other and live with each other and and, and live through each other. And instead everybody wants the partisan tribalism these days of oh my gosh, she hates the president, she likes the president. Why are they together? They should we should be cheering on the breaking up. No, you shouldn't. You should be saying more of that. I kind of look at some of it, I, I cringe myself sometimes. Um And I I just think, uh, you know, George, uh, your wife works for the president. Or when I see the president going after George Connors, his wife works for you, dude. But we should be encouraging people to stay together in marriage instead of the convenient breakups of marriage that we're seeing so often these days. CBS News has a big story out on um, consensual non-monogamy, and it's the, the wave of the future for marriage. No, it's not. It's a woman in love with a man who wants to sleep around on her, so she's pretending to be okay with it. People don't value marriage. Uh, we should at least be thankful that George and Kellyanne appear to, are struggling on hard times undoubtedly, uh, but the rest of the world piling on their marriage and them, I think, is uncalled for. And having lived in the whirlwind... I understand it to some degree, and I wish more people did and wish more people had them in their prayers, hoping that they can uh, get through this together as a family as opposed to cheering on the soap opera-like aspect of it. Well, I mentioned uh, the Warren audio. you got to listen to this. It it is a short clip of Elizabeth Warren. Um, Now, where did I put the (laughs) clip? Oh, my coffee hasn't kicked in here. Elizabeth Warren, listen to this. We should
1: take weapons of war off our, street. of war off our streets. I think we ammunition for
0: when I've read a lot of We should take weapons of war off our streets. You know, here's the thing about this. Um, let's be honest. Uh, a lot of them also agree with Beto O'Rourke on getting rid of uh, tax exemptions for churches. I mean, honest to goodness, uh, this Beto O'Rourke says we're going to get rid of the tax-exempt status of churches. This is from your LGBTQ plan, and here's what you write. This is a quote. Freedom of religion is a fundamental right, but it should not
2: be used to discriminate. Do you think religious institutions uh, like colleges, churches, charities, should they lose their tax-exempt status if they oppose same-sex marriage? Yes,
1: There can be no reward, no benefit, no tax break for anyone or any institution, any organization in America that denies the full human rights and the full civil rights of every single one of us. And so as president, we're going to make that a priority, and we are going to stop those who are infringing upon the human rights of our fellow Americans.
0: Yeah, um, I... Okay, this is... Elizabeth Warren has now agreed with Beto work on guns, and notice how no one is asking her or any of the other Democrats if they agree with him about this. Have you noticed that the media has patently avoided discussing the subject with the other Democrats? Are they afraid that, that are they protecting the Democrats from themselves? Because Elizabeth Warren is on a stage now, saying we need to take these guns off the street. Kamala Harris is in favor of confiscating the guns. Cory Booker is in favor of of, uh, of taking the guns, and they all ask the Democrats about that issue. But they the media has not asked them about the the tax exempt status of churches and religious nonprofits and schools. They've avoided it. And I can only think that they're trying to protect the Democrats from themselves. They're they're trying to protect the Democrats from uh, what's going on. They're trying to protect the Democrats from the public finding out their position. Because, you know, the public overwhelmingly, there there are a number of polls that have come out now, overwhelmingly oppose Beto O'Rourke's proposal. Overwhelmingly oppose. Something like 70% of the public, it makes you wonder about the other 30, but 70% of the public not quite a majority of Democrats, but overwhelming majority of independents and Republicans, and a, a, a something like 40% of Democrats oppose Beto O'Rourke's proposal. By the way, that tells you a lot about where the Democratic Party is right now, Hispanic and black voters. I, I don't know that President Trump can do it. I, I don't think um, he's got enough goodwill in these communities to be able to do it, but by God, some Republican out there somewhere really has a shot at um, making a play for Democratic voters who are Christians, uh, black and Hispanic voters within the Democratic Party building a coalition there. Um, and I don't think it'll be President Trump. I mean, He'll surprise me with Hispanics. He's doing better with Hispanics than Mitt Romney did. But making this an issue, that is a big issue. The Democrats want to come, not just for your guns, but for your churches, your Christian schools, and Christian nonprofits as well. And that reminds me, I, I want to talk about this in the next hour. Uh, what about Adoption agencies in Georgia. I think there's a fight to be had in Georgia, and I think the Republicans should do it on protecting faith-based adoption agencies because there are gay rights activists in the country right now targeting faith-based adoption agencies to shut them down and foster care agencies to shut them down uh, because they don't adopt to gay couples. And this is happening in more states. And when you look at the transgender case in Texas, you can't say this won't happen in Georgia. Georgia's further left than Texas these days. Hello and welcome. It is Eric Erickson here across the state of Georgia, around the nation, around the world on Facebook Live. The phone number is 877-97-ERIC-877-973-7425. Phone lines are now open uh, and you can call in and I, I'm going to do this. And I look, I apologize if you're, and I realize it's not even my role to do this, but, but I feel very strongly about it. Um, It is not my role to do it. Some of you are on delay, so just for time's sake, uh, I am right now at 10.07 a.m. on the news uh, doing this. There are storms moving into Georgia, and and thus far uh, our show is in Georgia. It's not outside of Georgia, uh, and it's in um, parts of uh, North Carolina as well, which is also getting weather this morning but there are very strong storms uh moving in and it's going to be rainy through the weekend uh and the rome the dalton the jasper area all about to be getting some very strong storms rome already in it it's headed across north georgia it's headed through southern north carolina um the murphy north carolina area is about to be getting some uh heavy rain haynesville as well the highlands Uh, Clayton, Clarksville, Athens, everybody getting very strong weather throughout the weekend. Um, again, tomorrow with rain, uh, it's just going to be a rainy weekend, uh, muggy throughout the Southeast right now as a front moves in. Um, and I just be advised of that. Uh, now we need to spend some time on, uh, pika pika. I'm sorry. I, I I feel compelled. This should be the biggest story of the day nationwide. This should be the headline. Um, are you ready? Because we have a new candidate filing to run against David Perdue. And like a lightning bolt out of the blue, this candidate may just come forward and surge... This candidate might actually have what it takes. Someone has filed paperwork with the FEC. Their name? Pikachu. <laughs> uh, this has gotta be a scam. The committee for Pokemon Yellow is gonna be the name of the committee. Um, what is Thousand um, Peach Tree Street? Here, yep. Where, where is? That? I'm sorry. You know, I, I feel compelled to look this up. Um, uh, in Midtown, of course it's in Midtown. Um, yeah, I, I have a hard time believing this is real, but, uh, someone named Pikachu has decided to file for the United States Senate against David Perdue. They've even got an FEC number and everything. Uh, I have a hard time believing this is real. But someone took the time to actually file a candidacy for president of the United, or not president, for Senate of the United States, um, as Pikachu. Wow, um, I wonder what, what party the um, Pikachu is is going to. We we don't know what party Pikachu will run as. I'm assuming it'll be a third party, uh, Mercy. In any event, okay, we we need to we need to move on from Pikachu. Uh, we we need to spend a little moment on impeachment because it's starting to dawn on Democrats that there are some problems with impeachment. Actually, there are some significant problems uh, for them with impeachment. First of all, um, let's acknowledge that it is bad form for the Democrats to be behind closed doors now. Uh, The media has been giving them cover. And in fact, you know, there is historic precedent, whether we agree with them or not for doing it behind closed doors, they have historic precedent. The Nixon impeachment uh, situation inquiry was behind closed doors for four months before becoming public in February of uh, 1974, where the Judiciary Committee then began drafting articles of impeachment. The original hearings, the original depositions, the original uh, evidentiary collection was all behind closed doors and done by lawyers on behalf of the committee. It was not done in public and once all the evidence was collected and all the witnesses deposed then all the the witnesses were brought in and, and everything was shaped it was almost as if the behind closed doors was a grand jury process uh and then the public process Uh, was uh, watching the lawyers sort it out based on the grand jury and the evidence collection in in public, what they oftentimes do behind the scenes. So they've got precedent there. The Republicans did this with Benghazi as well. But I think it's increasingly untenable for the Democrats to do it behind the scenes, in large part because of the calendar. We are 100 days roughly from the Iowa caucuses. There are 14 weeks before people start voting for uh, the Democratic presidential candidates. 14 weeks. Now, The Democrats can't get anything. You you know, they're now saying they make last two weeks ago they floated to several of us, myself included, that they would be behind closed doors until Thanksgiving and then they would go until the end of the year doing it in public and then they'd pass it to the Senate in January. They're now thinking they've got to escalate it as quickly as possible. And I think they do have to escalate as quickly as possible. I mean, they really, really do have to escalate as quickly as possible. And the reason they got to escalate as quickly as possible is because the Democrats, well, they don't have to, but there's a catch. The Democrats are on the campaign trail. You've got the Iowa caucuses, and a couple weeks later you've got New Hampshire, and then you've got South Carolina, and then it's a free-for-all in March. The Clinton impeachment trial lasted five weeks. And the rules of the Senate compel the senators to be present. They have to be present. They have to be there. They have to sit in on that trial as jurors. They're not allowed to leave. The Senate sergeant-at-arms can arrest them and detain them if they try to flee to go to Iowa and campaign. They're not allowed to do it. Six days a week from noon to, to six in the evening, what the Democrats would have to do is they would have to use the time change advantage to fly out to Iowa, campaign in the evening, and then fly back. Uh, and make it there by noon during the winter when the weather is unpredictable and so flights are unpredictable, they would have to do that. So the House Democrats need to speed it up. And there are more rumblings out of the House of Representatives that maybe, just maybe, possibly, they should not impeach the president. You heard me. There are, there are rumblings out of the House of Representatives now uh, from some Democrats that maybe this impeachment thing is a bad idea. Uh, and the reason being is because they're thinking that they, the Republicans are just going to make the argument, let's settle this at the polls. And in fact, the Republicans actually have a very good argument, let's just settle this at the polls. Let's settle it at the polls. And yeah, I, they, they want to settle it at the polls. So let's do it. Let let let's do it that way. And I think uh we're probably going to see more rumblings from the Republicans on this as well as this advances because they are going to get into January. They're going to get into January. People are already going to be vo- voting. You know and, and the dimmer, the Republicans now thanks to Bill Weld and 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 Sanford and uh who's the what's the idiot who's running? <sighs> Who is that insufferable um I can't say that word on radio. Um Walsh. Walsh. That's it. Thank you. Yes. Walsh. Joe Walsh. Yes. Uh, So you've got Bill Weld. You've got Joe Walsh. You've got Mark Sanford. They're all running against president. By the way, Mark Sanford said he would vote for President Trump. Uh, if, If impeachment falls through and he's not the nominee, he would vote for President Trump. The others are saying they'd vote Democrat. Bill Weld came out and said he'd vote for Joe Biden. Kind of exposes who the real Republicans are in the race. Hanford's running on principle. Uh, Walsh is, is running to to be mini Donald Trump, and Bill Wells running as a leftist uh, trying to disrupt Trump. It's not working. They're not getting traction. That they don't have. Um, they they do not have the uh, time, talent, or treasure to be able to advance against the president in the Republican nomination. But still, the Republicans could turn this on their head. Their head and say, listen. Listen, guys, let's settle this at the polls. If you don't like the president, come into our primaries. Now, they can't do it in some places. South Carolina, uh, New Hampshire, I think, and a few others have uh, changed their their rules to pretty much preclude primaries. But in most states, you can't even in Georgia. In Georgia, you can come. They've changed the rules slightly. In Georgia, they're still going to have a primary. But it's going to be mostly winner take all in Georgia, as opposed to divided among the congressional districts, a proportional distribution of votes based on congressional district. But the Republicans can make that case. Well, why why are you tying up the entire Congress with impeachment when we've got an election on? If you don't like the president, come into a Republican primary and vote against him. Give Bill Weld or Joe Walsh or Mark Sanford some votes or, or just go vote Democrat and we'll settle it in November. It's a plausible argument. It makes sense. And frankly, and I want to get to this data, Um, there is polling out right now that two-thirds of the American public think that we are on the verge of a civil war, that the nation is divided ideologically, culturally, religiously, politically, and we're fraying at the seams. And it seems that everyone in Washington and the media are doing everything they can to make that division worse. I mean, there does not appear to be a politician in Washington right now who is trying to bridge the gap on these issues. And I don't know that there can be. I I don't know that such a person could exist in this environment because people are so divided right now. Let's take the Beto O'Rourke issue. Beto O'Rourke wants to take away the tax-exempt status of churches and religious groups and religious schools that don't support gay marriage. And more than 50% of Democrats agree with that proposition. The overwhelming majority of people in the country don't, including 40-some-odd uh, percent of Democrats, don't agree with that proposition. But over 50, slightly, 50% of Democrats do. Like, 51% of Democrats do. Maybe 49% of Democrats do. It's close to 50%. I mean, that, that's an issue that really divides Democrats from everyone else. But it's a divisive issue. And you don't hear Democrats coming out and condemning Beto O'Rourke. In fact, you've seen the media protecting them from the Beto O'Rourke situation. They asked all of them about confiscating guns, and they all agree with Beto on that. The presumption is they would all agree with Beto O'Rourke on this, and yet you don't hear the media probing it. Why? Peggy Noonan has a column today in the Wall Street Journal on this very issue, that everyone's playing for keeps. Everyone's playing for for, for a level of... of Big majorityism, uh, control, uh, to heck with everyone who disagrees with us, go big, go home politics. And if you don't like it, well, shut up. Um, there are problems and impeachment amplifies it. Look at, look at the media in this. I I talked about this last hour and the media and this investigation within the justice department, the Justice Department is pushing very hard now for a, a criminal investigation into what actually led to the Steele dossier and led to the idea that the, um, that the president was collaborating with the Russians when we know from the Mueller report, in fact, that that's not true. We know now from the Mueller report that uh, there was no collaboration between the Trump campaign and the Russians and said it is an article of the faith by the Democrats, the Justice Department has moved to a criminal investigation and the media's like oh my gosh we can't do that we can only investigate things we want if you're invested in trying to find some unity in the country telling half of the public they're not allowed to look into the stuff they want to look into you can only look in the government can only investigate stuff the media wants there's your way to further divide the country and it doesn't help to say, well, that's just because people on Fox News said it. If you didn't listen to Fox News, you it wouldn't be so bad. So you mean uh, uh, Fox News is the most watched news network in this country? and the people who watch the most watched news network in this country understand that there's a there 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 is smoke there at least the president is concerned he should be able to look into it and you're threatening him and threatening the Justice Department and threatening their credibility because they're looking into something that might undermine your sources of course people are going to look at this and say this is divisive of course people are going to look at this and say we can't trust the media in fact I would say so much that the American public looks like we're on the verge of breaking up it has a lot to do with the media the these days which has gone all in on protecting the democrats look at the katie hill situation now have you heard about katie hill the story was broken at my old website redstate.com um and i was dismissive of the story at first just because it kind of seemed gross and icky but but more details have trickled out and there is a concern there katie hill is a member of congress who appeared to be in a thruple have you heard about this term a thruple it's a three-way relationship It appears there was a a lesbian relationship on top of a relationship with a a husband. And then she started cheating on both of them with a male staffer in her office. And now she's the first woman under investigation for breaking the sexual harassment and and, and whatnot code in Congress. And the Democrats and the media kept quiet. For a week, the story was out there. There are pictures of her naked in the shower with another woman. I have not seen that. I've tried to see that. They have not shown me the pictures. There are pictures out there. There are some pretty disturbing pictures. Now there are pictures of her out there um, smoking marijuana, doing bong hits and other things. This is a person who has some deep-rooted issues. Uh, looks like she has some dependency issues. She She's certainly got some codependency issues. And the media is doing everything they can to avoid the subject. I'm old enough to remember when the media was out trying to find pictures of republicans doing bad things. I you know, I was down in Florida for the what 2012 Republican convention of uh, Tampa, Florida is known for its its vast array of strip clubs, and you had reporters staking out the strip clubs, trying to get pictures of Republican delegates leaving the strip clubs, and that was going to be national news stories. But this woman, who is on an intelligence committee, who is uh, having a, a thruple with her husband and some woman and cheating on them both with a staffer, suddenly that's off limits. We can't cover that. There's your an example of media bias. In favor of the Democrats. In fact, nine times out of 10, the bias is always in favor of the Democrats. Is it any wonder the public can't trust the media? And if the public can't trust the media to get it right, they begin to have fundamental underlying trust issues overall with politics. And that begins to further divide the country. The media has a lot to do with this. And of course, you know, the, the, the galling thing about this is the media will never admit that it plays such a big role in these sorts of divisions in the public conscience. Hello there. It is Eric Erickson here. The phone number if you want to call in 877-97 Eric 877-973-7425. Um oh, where did all this go? Um never mind. <laughs> um, so I'm having computer issues all of a sudden. It's a Friday. My my so I've got a Mac. Uh, And I love my Mac. I love Apple products, uh, even if I'm annoyed with them right now for all the China stuff. But uh, Apple released a new keyboard design starting in 2017 with a new style of keyboard, and they're horrible. And I had one, and I had to get it replaced with a new one. And the new one now, the keyboard is so screwed up. And it's double its double tapping eyes and all sorts of stuff, and it's driving me crazy. And now it's random stuff. If I hold my hands just so over the trackpad uh, without touching the trackpad, random things happen. And, and I, I keep an outline of the show just of the things that I want to make sure to talk about, and it suddenly disappeared on me. Okay. 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 Uh, This is it. This is, this is what I I wanted to tell you about the, uh, Syrian situation. Uh, the, the white house has decided we're going to move tanks and armored personnel carriers into Northern Syria. Now I know uh, this, I was talking to a buddy of mine who works for the president actually directly works for the president. And he said that he feels bad for the president's supporters sometimes because the process within the White House is oftentimes a gut level process where the president makes a decision. He announces on Twitter. That's how everybody in the the White House finds out. Sometimes it's stuff they've got to walk him back from. And he says he, he feels really bad for the people who they rush out to defend the president on these things only to see the president walk it back. And this is one of those situations where there were a lot of people who came out when the president said we were getting out of Syria and they defended it to the hill. Yes, this is a good thing. Bring them all home. Well, we were never bringing them home to begin with. We moved them further south in Syria and and some into Saudi Arabia. But uh, the president said we were bringing them home. So by God, it must be true. Bring them home. Bring them home. The president said we're going to bring them home. Here they come. Except they didn't come. Well, Lindsey Graham, among others, uh has decided that we need to stay in Syria and we need to uh protect our oil fields. And in fact, as a way to help the convince the president we need to keep protecting the Kurds, he's told the president the Kurds would help us protect the oil fields, but we need some troops there to help them protect the oil fields. So the president. You know, if this were if this were a movie, if this were the plot of a book, no one would believe it. Uh, In fact, some people don't believe this, and yet it's really happening. Uh, So the president has decided we will not protect the Kurds, but we will protect the oil fields. And Lindsey Graham has convinced the president that he should let the Kurds help us protect the oil fields, thereby uh, having us protect the Kurds who are helping us protect the oil fields. He's been able to get it uh, get it done, uh, Lindsey Graham has, of, of getting the Kurds protected. And he's got the president convinced we're protecting the oil reserves. And, uh, you know, those oil reserves do need to be protected because Iran was going to take them over. Iran wasn't going to blow them up like Saddam Hussein did. Iran was going to just take them over and start selling the oil. So now we're protecting them. But now we've got to move tanks and armored personnel carriers to the region to protect our soldiers who are now protecting the Kurds, who are protecting the oil fields for us. It's kind of convoluted, is it not? It is Eric Erickson here, and you can call in and be a part of the program if you like. 877-97-ERIC, 877 7425 is the full number. The Democrats are having some serious problems uh, with, among other things, Joe Biden. Uh, Biden is floundering on the campaign trail and that's starting to worry Democrats who believe that Joe Biden um, is the only guy who can save them from Donald Trump's reelection. And, and there's a, a side point that needs to be noted here. And that is that one of the underlying presumptions from Democrats is that impeachment's going to be unsuccessful. That if they're still banking on uh, trying to find someone who can beat Donald Trump and persuade blue-collar voters to go Democrat, uh, there are a couple of things at play here. One, uh, there are some underlying problems for the president nationwide in polling. It actually does look bad for the president in places like North Carolina and even Georgia's suburbs, um, not looking good. Florida, he's now underwater in Florida. That's a problem. In Arizona, he's underwater in in Arizona. But if it's Elizabeth Warren or Bernie Sanders, I realize the polls right now show they're going to win. Uh, but polls showed that John Kerry was going to beat George W. Bush in two thousand four. And uh, Bush was able to use his massive war chest to define John Kerry as a blithering idiot and in the process of doing so beat him with over 51% of the vote having lost the popular vote in 2000 to Al Gore. Uh, I want to use some compare and contrast, though. I want to go back to Mike Pence, who called out the NBA. And I want, to, I want you to listen to Pence, and then we're going to pivot to Biden here. Uh, these are a couple of remarks that Mike Pence gave last night.
1: Nike promotes itself as a so-called social justice champion. But when it comes to Hong Kong, it prefers checking its social conscience at the door. Nike stores in China actually removed their Houston Rockets merchandise from their shelves to join the Chinese government in protest against the Rockets general manager's seven word tweet which read fight for freedom stand with Hong Kong. And some of the NBA's biggest players and owners who routinely exercise their freedom to criticize this country lose their voices. When it comes to the freedom and rights of the people of China, inciting with the Chinese Communist Party and silencing free speech, the NBA is acting like a wholly owned subsidiary of
0: that authoritarian regime. Yes, they are. Now listen to these two clips from the uh, vice president.
1: Because of the president's policies, America has added trillions of dollars of wealth to our economy, while China's economy continues to fall behind. And one more. Past administrations have come and gone, and all were aware of these abuses. None were willing to upset the established Washington interests, who not only permitted these abuses, but often profited from them. The political establishment was not only silent in the face of China's economic aggression and human rights abuses, but they often enabled them. As each year passed, as each factory closed in the heartland of America, as each new skyscraper went up in Beijing, American workers grew only more disheartened, and China grew only more emboldened.
0: Now... That was the vice president speaking with some moral clarity on China, uh, calling out the NBA, calling out abuses in China, uh, the Chinese economy, which, by the way, more and more economists are saying they think China's cooking the books on their economy. There appears to be slowdown. Now, contrast that. An issue that has actually united Americans across the board. Uh, Democrats, Republicans, independents, moderates, conservatives, progressives, everyone concerned about abuses in China, everyone concerned with the NBA. Contrast that with uh, the former vice president of the United States, Joe Biden.
2: I've met virtually every major world leader in the last 40 years. Not hyperbole, fact. Because the nature of my work is being chairman of the foreign relations and doing national security intelligence work for Barack Obama for eight years. I don't know a single solitary one wouldn't change places in a heartbeat with the president of the United States of America. We talk about China. I said China is not our problem. China is not our problem if we invest and remember who we are. Imagine the situation. I've spent more time with Xi Jinping than any world leader had before I left the vice presidency.
0: China is not our problem. China is not our problem. Seriously. Seriously. Seriously, China is not our problem. That's that's the vi- former Vice President of the United States. as the Chinese continue to pressure American companies to conform to the Chinese line as the Communist China Chinese halfway around the world can pressure American companies to censor Americans going to basketball games in the United States of America. The former vice President says China is not our problem. Uh, it is very much our problem, and this is concerning Democrats. Democrats are deeply worried about the increasing radicalization on the left. Democratic uh, and I should I shouldn't say Democrats I should say Democratic donors. Democratic donors understand the problem and Democratic donors understand uh, that there are serious issues for the Democratic Party right now with blue collar workers in particular around the country. There are serious issues around the country right now with um, with the engagement of Democrats in local communities that are not hyper progressive. You heard the president. Uh, Yesterday in Pennsylvania, addressing these issues, and they're resonating with these blue-collar voters.
2: Since the election, we've created more than 6.4 million new jobs, including more than 240,000 jobs in Ohio, West Virginia, and Pennsylvania. A beautiful number is that more than 2 million Americans have been raised out of poverty. Take it out of poverty. Wages are rising, and they are rising the fastest of all. A lot of you people are going to like this. For the blue-collar workers, the best proportion of anybody. In the first half of this year, wages for the lowest-income workers increased by more than 6%, an unheard-of number. Unemployment is at the lowest rate?
0: Yes. Unemployment is down. Jobs are up. Job growth is up. Wages are up. Uh, and Joe Biden's up there floundering around. But Joe Biden does have this. Uh, and and here hear Joe Biden now. Choice
2: in affordable health care covered by a public option, a Medicare-like option
0: that's added under my
2: plan. If you negotiated an agreement for health care with your, with your employer, union or otherwise, and you like it because you've given up wages to get it, you can keep it. It should be your choice. But if you don't like it, if you don't like it, you can leave it, and you can afford. You can afford a
0: plan that's
2: subsidized in the healthcare policy.
0: Wait, what? If you like your doctor, you can keep your doctor. If you like your insurance, you can keep your insurance. Haven't we heard this before? Haven't we heard this before and Joe Biden wants to run for president on this? Yeah, you know, one of the Elizabeth Warren's criticisms of Joe Biden throughout the campaign, uh, it's been a subtle criticism. She hasn't called him out by name per se, but it's been um, we shouldn't have to go backwards to go forwards. We should just keep moving forwards. And it's a it's a message of Joe Biden would be in the pa- is in the past and we need to advance to the future. Now, there are other other people out there, Buttigieg uh, being one of them, who says that Elizabeth Warren and Bernie Sanders are in the past, too, and he's the future. And that's starting to irk some of them. Uh, But it it really it doesn't help that Joe Biden is running on failed talking points from the Obama administration. And it's got Democratic donors really worried. Uh, Joe Biden's uh, in a cash crunch with his campaign as well. They're spending so much money on Joe Biden's campaign right now. The consultants are getting rich and Joe Biden is is cash poor. Uh, It's gotten to the point where he's having to take super PAC money, which is something just a couple years ago. He said, if you did, nobody would trust you. Breaking news in the 2020 race for the White House. The Biden campaign appears to be reversing its opposition to Super PAC money and laying the groundwork to accept help from those controversial groups. Super PACs are committees that can accept unlimited contributions from corporations, labor unions, and individuals. Third quarter fundraising numbers show former Vice President Joe Biden trailing the top two progressives in the race. And a new Quinnipiac poll doesn't bring a lot of comfort to the campaign. It shows Senator Elizabeth Warren in the lead, seven points ahead of Biden. Yeah, um, the the polling out there is very interesting right now in the Democratic Party, and Joe Biden doesn't have a lot of money to burn to be able to change some of those numbers around. Elizabeth Warren is definitely surging into the lead. Uh, the real clear politics polling average is the one that I pay the most attention to though. And let's keep this in some perspective, uh, nationally, uh, Bernie Sanders has gone up a little bit. Pete Buttigieg has gone up a little bit from the last polling, but Biden is still 5.4 percentage points ahead. Elizabeth Warren in second, Biden is at 21.8, uh, I'm sorry, Biden is at 27.2, Elizabeth Warren 21.8. They're running neck and neck right now on this. And, of course, the caucuses can help Elizabeth Warren, but there's polling out there now that Buttigieg is highly competitive in – is in uh, distance in Iowa between Sanders, Warren, and Biden. In fact, there's evidence that Buttigieg in Iowa has surged ahead of Biden because it's such the caucuses are such a, a hands-on grassroots thing, and Buttigieg has been pouring money in there to kind of make his Custer's last stand for himself. Uh, I'm looking at the polling just so you see. Quinnipiac has a poll out right now that has uh Warren at 28%, Biden at 21. CNN has uh Biden at 34, Warren at 15. The Economist has Biden at 24, Warren at 23. The Hill Harris Poll has Biden at 27, Warren 19. Emerson has Biden 27, Warren 21. And Political Morning Consult has Biden 30. Uh, Warren 21, uh, which is an interesting shape up in the dynamics here. The CNN poll, very interesting. They have Biden 15 points ahead. It is definitely an outlier, so much so um, that it's keeping him padded in the distance between uh, Warren and uh, with Warren. The Quinnipiac is the only poll out uh, in the last batch that has Biden ahead. In fact, there are a number of polls that have had Warren ahead, uh, but barely. Ah, uh, the Economist poll did have Warren up four. It's now got Biden up one. The Quinnipiac poll had Warren up three. It's now got Warren up seven. Um, let's see, where's where's another one that had? Um, yeah, it, Warren has been ahead in the Economist and the Quinnipiac poll, uh, pretty significantly. So it's most interesting that Biden has jumped back ahead in the Economist poll when the Economist polls have had Warren up pretty significantly for a while. The other one is the political morning consult poll. Uh, Just last, this time last month had Warren up three and it now has Biden up nine. So uh, a a muddled mess as Democratic voters start to pay attention and they've got to pay attention because we're about 100 days from the Iowa caucuses. So this is when people tune in. We're past Labor Day. We're before Thanksgiving. People are settling into political season. It's cyclical, You know, even in talk radio, you see this thing. Let's, Let's just talk shop for just a minute. In talk radio, uh, you tend to see big surges in elections, and in an election year, the the number of people listening to talk or news talk goes up. And then after the election, if your party wins, what you see is you go down in the polls, and once you've gone down in the polls or in down in the polls, down in the ratings, your people tune you out. You've won. Why do I need to keep listening to these people on radio? We won. If you lose, however, if you're, if you're particularly Republicans, because the left really doesn't have talk radio, they've got podcasts, they don't have talk radio, um, but in talk radio, if a conservative wins, listenership tends to decline after the win, and if they lose, listenership tends to stay steady. With Trump, it was very interesting because um, after the election, uh, the listenership in talk radio actually stayed pretty steady, almost at election levels, and it began to fade over the last year. As, as Democrats took control in 2018 and uh, into 2019, talk radio listeners kind of left. They finally were burned out, and that usually happens right after the election, but burnout sets in in talk radio. You can only listen to politics so much. And I know it as As a host. you, When you hear my program, you'll hear me talk about a lot of stuff other than politics because I burn out on it too. I don't want to talk. Life is not all politics. Disney's about to come online with Disney+. Plus. We should talk about that. But uh, the headlines of the day are still important. And so listeners will go away. But as the election season comes back, listeners start to pay attention again and talk radio listenerships as a share of what people are listening to on radio starts to go back up. And uh, there are some, some trend lines that show that now. Um, there are also trend lines. You know, there's this big debate in talk radio about podcasts versus shows. And a lot of radio companies are rushing towards having more podcasts. They, they want a lot of podcasts out there. Uh, they're looking at podcasts in, in the alternative. What, what's so interesting there is that podcasts skew to the left. Now, there are some big podcasts out there on the right. Uh, Joe Rogan, uh, Ben Shapiro, and a few others are, are actually pretty significant podcasts on the right. Uh, and the problem is that we're seeing a lot of data that you can't convert to Talk or, or podcast listeners into talk radio listeners. You may be able to convert talk radio into podcasts, but people who started in podcasts, they're there for that specific person. Now, they're there to listen at their own pace. They're not there for timely news. You know, the problem with podcasting this program is that, it is so focused on the daily headlines. In fact, it, it's hard for me to have a pre recorded segment where if I'm if something happens, and we've had to do this actually a couple of times. I've been sick, my wife's been sick spur of the moment. Happened a couple of weeks ago. It was very spur of the moment. I got sick in the middle of the night. We needed something, we couldn't get a guest host. So we had to find some best of material. And it's hard to find best of material in a show like this because it is so focused on the headlines every single day. My job is to keep you entertained, I hope, but also keep you informed of what's going on in the world on a daily basis. There are some podcasts, though, where you can listen to it on a Monday or a Friday or three weeks from now, and it doesn't matter. And the left has gravitated to podcasts. Everybody gravitates to the medium that is growing when they're out of power. So talk radio does so well with conservatives because talk radio became a thing with Rush Limbaugh in the early 90s as we headed into the Clinton administration and impeachment and stuff, and Republicans turned to talk radio. Uh, the Internet became a thing when George Bush was president, Internet activism, and and, and the left has typically done very, very well in that. Uh, Facebook really came into its own when Barack Obama was president, and guess what? Conservatives tend to outpace uh, the left on Facebook because it's what they went to to find news. Um, and then Donald Trump became president in 2016 with the rise of podcasts. Podcasting has tended to skew to the left because uh, that was the new medium and, and uh, the left latched onto it. So conservatives, whatever the new thing is, will probably outperform uh when if donald trump goes away and the left takes over in 2020 whatever the new digital medium is conservatives will probably do better than the left when it comes to digital information that's the way it works Uh, but people are kind of they're they're tuning back in now for election season and they're doing it on the democratic side as well And what's interesting is you and I know that Joe Biden has not done a very good job on the campaign trail for the last six months. And you and I know that Joe Biden has not done a very good job fundraising for the last six months. And you and I know that uh, the media wants Elizabeth Warren to happen. And you and I know that Pete Buttigieg is something that only white people like. And yet the media is trying to build up these people, play down Joe Biden. And here's something else you can know today from your host who has done politics for a living for years. Most of the voters who will vote in the Democratic primary are only now just tuning in. They've been dealing with Labor Day. They've been dealing with getting their kids back in school. They've been dealing with Fall Little League. That's coming to an end as Thanksgiving approaches. They can now settle in for political season. They're paying attention. They don't know any of this stuff about Joe Biden has actually happened because they haven't been paying attention. And lo and behold, Joe Biden has suddenly surged again in the polls. The only thing that explains his sudden surge in the polls is just that, that voters who had not paid attention because they've been distracted with their families are now tuning in. And their preconceived notion again is, hey, this guy was Barack Obama's vice president. He's my default choice. So the Democrats are going to have to fight it all over again. But they have a side advantage now. Joe Biden has spent a lot of money and doesn't have a lot left when this new fight starts. Please do go to the resurgent.com. We've got a lot of information there. Uh, you can find some more of my thoughts on the Department of Justice opening this investigation, um, a criminal investigation now into the 2016 Russia stuff. I, well overdue and uh, good for William Barr doing this. You'll also be able to go back and find the podcast of the show. If, if you want the podcast of the show, uh, you need to text the um, show to 33777. But but there's something else you may want to text. Uh, you probably want to text recipe to 33777. I, I missed yesterday sending out the recipe and intend to do it after the show today. Uh, and you can go to my Instagram uh, feed, instagram.com slash EW Erickson, and see it for yourself. I made a sheet pan pizza this past weekend with homemade dough. And the dough is very easy to make. Uh, you, too, can make it if you like. Uh, you will need a scale for it. Um, it it's definitely something you got to have a scale for. Uh, but it was really good pizza dough. And I really liked it. And I think you would like it as well. Um, and it just, my kid and I, we wanted pizza. I wanted to to make dough. I wasn't going to make bread and we just decided, you know what, let's make a big sheet pan pizza. And so we divided it in half on, on a big sheet pan. Uh, and half of it was just cheese. And the other half I put bacon and green pepper and Italian sausage and pepperoni. It was fantastic. It really was. It was good stuff. Uh, so I will send out that recipe. You, You do need a stand mixer with a dough hook. You really do. Um, I mean you can do it by hand if you want, but I highly recommend a KitchenAid mixer. But I will send that recipe out, but you got a text recipe to 33777. um, Text recipe to 33777. And if you want the podcast, you want the show notes, you want the daily email, you want access to the website, all that, text show to 33777. Now, um, real briefly, uh, you know, millennial habits change. Millennials are not interested in things their parents were until later in life. There's actually a lot of data that shows as millennials grow up. um, Millennials, it's kind of, I mean, I don't don't want to disparage a different generation, um, but they're kind of, odd in that they're growing up later they're having kids later they're moving out of the house later Uh, they're getting married later and they've just they're clicking the idea that they're an adult clicks later and when they become an adult they do begin to adopt the things their parents did like um, millennials move to talk radio in their 30s as opposed to their 20s uh, which kind of conflates advertisers of, but there's something else out there that millennials are doing that's causing economic problems in America today. I'll tell you when we come back. Alrighty, welcome. It's the third hour, the last hour of the week. It is Friday. Hallelujah. I'm I'm ready for the weekend. I hope you are too. It's Eric Erickson here and the phone number 877-97-ERIC. 877 973 is the phone number. Uh, we'll be a little looser with the phone this hour if you want to call in. Um, again, it's 877 877- 973 7425 is the number. And if you want this uh, sheet pan pizza recipe, I'm, I'm putting it together right now to send out as soon as I'm off the air. Uh, text the word recipe to 33777. It's a dough recipe uh, for you to be able to make homemade pizza with homemade dough. It's easy to do. You, you do need a mixer, really, uh, like a KitchenAid. But I, I'll send it to you. You can try it this weekend if you want. Experiment with it. It's a wet, sticky dough, it, it's kind of no fail. Um, I'll walk you through it in the email. So now, let's get into... Can, can we deviate actually from politics for a little bit? Because I was reading a fascinating um, essay in, of all places, BuzzFeed. I'm not a huge BuzzFeed fan, but I'm very interested in this. And Catherine Miller uh, from BuzzFeed wrote it. Uh, Catherine Miller actually is, started off in conservative media circles and moved over to BuzzFeed, and I was absolutely fascinated by this piece. And she's right. Uh, the, the, the headline of this piece is uh, the 2010s broke our sense of time. The rhythms of American life changed in this decade. How everything from TV to Trump to Instagram messed with your head just enough that time feels like it melted. Let me read you some of this. This is one of those places you go for Instagram. The Manhattan Bridge looms immediately and substantial. Over a cobblestone street framed on either side by a pair of old brick buildings, if you're standing in the right spot, you can see the Empire State Building through one of the bridge's uprights. Imagine a woman, young and ambivalent, staring into the middle distance, white sneakers aglow in the dawn, bridge overhead. This area of Brooklyn, once home to abandoned factories and warehouses, now houses an annual festival for $3,000 German cameras. All of this could be depressing conceptually. Thousands and thousands of us cycling through a location for the same photo, then posting it to Instagram, a platform on which you've probably seen this photo and we'll see it again. An endless loop of likes. Restaurant owners think now about how a certain floor tile might look on Instagram and light the room for the phone's camera instead of the table. Businesses. Paint ridiculous murals on walls with human-sized white spaces so you'll pop by and pose, ironic or earnest between technicolor angel wings, Instagram stories of the places and people extend on out into the jittery forever. And yet, on nice evenings in early September, on a half block of staggering wealth, the photo line can seem less like a gl- grim tribute to our alienated reality and more like a fun carnival. You know those little cartoons of a city where a guy in a beret with a poodle is walking past a baguette-carrying chef in front of a pencil drawing of the Eiffel Tower? Here in Brooklyn, the tall, thin women in silver Birkenstocks pose and passed by groups of two German tourists and three Chinese tourists. Cars coming a man shouts every few minutes. One night, a Carvel ice cream truck would inch by, followed by a silver Mercedes G-Class, all while the Q train blared overhead as the metal subway cars crossed the steel bridge. Here a couple would pose in black tie, there some teens would be texting on the curve, here a black Range Rover, there a guy in shorts with an ice cream cone, a shirtless rollerblader would weave through the groups of women in dresses crowding around the phone. That's a fine shot, one bridesmaid, lovely called out to a bride. That's a fine shot. None of this, the intersection of a hundred lives in one place, your own Instagram feed crashing into someone else's, could have happened ten years ago. The long and wearying decade is coming to a close, though. Even if there's no sense of an ending... People are always saying stuff like time has melted. My brain has melted. Donald Trump melted my brain. I can't remember if it was two weeks ago or two months ago or two years ago. What a year this has been. Donald Trump tells the story of 2016 again. Your Facebook feed won't stop showing you a post from four days ago about someone you haven't seen in three years. The office, six years after its end, might be the most popular program in the United States. Donald Trump tells the story of 2016 again. One high schooler dances to a Mariah Carey song from 2009 in a video that loops in 15 second increments on tiktok then another team does it then another team does it then a high school dance team dances that dance to this mariah carey song as a gym full of teens sings along in a video that loops in 15 second increments donald trump tells the story of 2016 again what was here yesterday no longer is the touch and taste of the 2010s was nonlinear acceleration always moving, always faster, but torn this way and that way, pushed forward, pulled back under. As the decade closes with an impeachment inquiry, Trump drags and twists the entire country through six turns each day. And I'll stop reading there and say everyone else does it too. Catherine Miller points out that in the 20 months between Hillary Clinton's campaign announcement and Donald Trump's inauguration, Everything from Apple Music to HBO Now to Apple News launched or relaunched. The Amazon Echo, Google Home, the Apple Watch, they finally came to full market. Publishers established the current form and tone of news push alerts you receive. Facebook launched a live streaming function that I'm on right now with with a bunch of people watching. They deprioritized the function where people aired violence. Instagram launched the ephemeral, ephemeral, inexhaustive story so you can share everything in between the moments you care about. Twitter introduced the quote tweet option, which formalized and democratized a function from the earlier days of Twitter and transformed every Trump tweet into an opportunity from commentary. And within a few months in 2016, both the primary catalog of millions of lives, which is Instagram, and the primary channel for news and culture, which is Twitter, switched from chronological to algorithmic timelines. All this happened while the country realized Trump could become president, and then he did become president, an experience somehow both mystifying and like watching a wet paper bag break. And she wonders how all of this got jumbled. And I've got to tell you, I've got a theory on this. In 2001, on September 11th, well, you know what, Let let me back up before that. In November of 2000, we saw the United States do something it had not done in the modern era. A president got elected while losing the popular vote. Red states became a thing. Did, did you know where the red states come from? Anybody? Do, do, do you know where the red states come from? There, there's some some mythology that has been created out there in the last 20 years that uh, red was a communist thing and it was a media bias of of the the media tarring the republicans as the red states because donald or ronald reagan and george hw bush beat the commies and it's brandy that's not really it at all uh I, I ran a website for more than a decade called redstate.com and i never really cared for the name i wish we were right states instead of red state but uh red state became a thing in 2000 because of the 2000 election uh george w bush won the majority of the votes of the electoral college and lost the popular vote uh al gore could not win his home state of tennessee which cost him the electoral college uh it was it was a thing it was a big thing it was a thing before 2016 was a thing it was a big thing it highlighted a growing divide in the country which we reaffirmed in 2016 when the same thing happened that this was a thing the division in the country between urban and rural between progressive and conservative it was a thing and it kind of started breaking the country there was a huge fight now where did the red state? i i digressed on there so Back in the 1960s, the media relied on the Associated Press to call the races. And the Associated Press, as color television arrived, thematically hit on something that was a hodgepodge uh, for the various networks, and the AP began to call it as the incumbent president's White House was blue and the challenger was red. So... For example, in 1980, Ronald Reagan uh, committed a bloodbath on Jimmy Carter. Across the country, it was called the Reagan bloodbath. It, Reagan was the out-of-White out of, part, out of White House party, so there were red states that won, that dominated the map. But in 1984, it was the Ronald Reagan swimming pool. The only state that went for Walter Mondale was his home state of Minnesota. So there was one red state, and the entire rest of the map was blue. It was the Reagan swimming pool. Well, fast forward to 2000, the out of power party is the Republicans, and George W. Bush and the party that controlled the White House were the Democrats. So they, the Democrats were the blue state in 2000, not by virtue of being Democrats, but by virtue of their party controlling the White House. And George Bush was the red state because he was not controlling the White House. But it stuck because 2000 was the first time in the age of television, in the age of, of mass media, that a, a person had won the White House without winning the popular vote. And so red states became a thing. And the country shifted in that regard a few decades after having adopted the idea of red states being for the out-of-party power, uh, or out-of-power party. And then it was re-emphasized in 2016 with maps spread by Republicans who won, showing that the majority of land in this country uh, was where Republicans lived, even if Democrats had a massive uh, control of cities. It was a smaller landmass. And the country did begin to fracture. And the only thing that really kept the country from fracturing in the early 2000s, because it was happening, you look at Jim Jeffords in in the Senate at the time from Vermont, jumped ship from the GOP, gave the Senate to the Democrats. The president had to rely on Ted Kennedy to write No Child Left Behind. Republicans didn't like it, but the president's team bullied enough Republicans, including Senator Jim DeMint of South Carolina, newly elected, to get it through. Uh, DeMint actually swore he would, he would never believe the White House again because they made him promises to get him to vote for it, and then they betrayed him and those promises. And the country began to split. And then on September eleventh, 2001, two planes hit two buildings in New York City, and the world changed overnight. A very divided country became very united, For a while, people forget how united this country became. And for several years, the country was largely united. But then the Democrats wanted back into power. They questioned the war, the invasion of Iraq. Things weren't going well. George W. Bush doubled down. He was loyal to people he shouldn't necessarily have been loyal to. And the country began to split again. But it split in large part because we were then safe. By then, by 2004, we were feeling safe again. And as we moved to 2010, we felt really safe. Uh, Nothing bad was really going to happen in this country. The bad stuff was happening abroad. It was out of sight of us. We could return to our own devices. And in particular, we also saw with the Obamacare fight that Washington now was of paramount importance, and all of the fights became important. And as much as people might say that it was George W. Bush and it was 9-11 and stuff, uh, the, the Obama team played a role here, too, by a deep level of arrogance to the point of suing nuns to force nuns to pay for abortion, Little Sisters of the Poor. And so the nation began to divide again. But in those divisions, people started tuning out of politics because it got kind of nasty. The Republicans took back Congress. Nothing was getting done in in Washington. And people started turning to new technology to distract themselves from the nastiness of Washington, to distract themselves of what was going on. And they turned to new things like Instagram and Twitter and Apple Music and Spotify and then HBO Now and and technology started rising. And then Facebook started expanding and growing and and culture solidifying around uh, ideological polls and your local community stopped mattering as much because you could go online and find new community and build community and find people who looked just like you sounded just like you had interest just like you and build a community with those people share music with those people have those people share music with you and, and find similar things with people abroad who you don't even know in person and then the tech companies did switch from chronology to algorithm So now I can go on Facebook right now and I can see things that happened last week with people because I haven't seen them and it got a lot of comments and Facebook thinks I need to see what happened last week before I see what happened today. And Twitter's the same way. Something's getting a lot of buzz. Twitter wants to amplify the buzz as opposed to letting it go and letting it move on and letting it pass before me. Unseen, Twitter's got to make sure that I see it. And I don't know if it's today or yesterday or last week. I see people retweeting things from 48 hours ago and I think, wow, I can't believe I missed that. Let me retweet it as well. And then somebody else sees it. And other people look at it and they see it coming into my timeline and say, wait, didn't I see that yesterday? And it all does become a jumbled mess. Time becomes a jumbled mess. Uh, The the ability to, to connect to people becomes a jumbled mess. The ability to keep track of what happened, when it happened, where it happened, all becomes a jumbled mess. People recirculate things. You see now all the time on Twitter, things go viral and get circulated, and it turns out the news stories from two years ago, well, how did I miss it then, and why is it buzzing now? None of it makes any sense. You go on Instagram. This is one of the things she's talking about. Instagram now, you've got these tourist traps, and and they solely exist for people to put pictures on Instagram, and you see all your friends put pictures there. Well, now you want to go there, and you want to get your picture there, and then wait a second. Didn't I see this picture before, or is this someone else? And it all becomes a jumbled mess, and the president, you turn on TV, and he's saying stuff that he said last week, and am I watching the reruns, or am I watching today? It's like listening to Hannity some days. I, I, I tune in. He comes in right before me and my other show, and I think, haven't I heard this before? These are the same people talking about the same thing. What's going on it's interesting to me we have lost our sense of linear time catherine's exactly right here we have lost our sense of linear time because the algorithm reigns supreme now and in the process of the algorithm reigning supreme it's doing something else it is further dividing us and as we become even more divided in social media, we become more and more convinced that we are on the verge of a civil war. Two-thirds of this country believes a civil war is coming, unless somebody does something soon. And we should probably talk about that. I don't think these stories are unrelated. Um, the shakeup of linear time into algorithmic time by tech companies and being able to build your own tribe online certainly does, in fact, um, Mess us up, divide us, and break down a sense of community. I want you all to do me a favor. I want you to go to a website, First Liberty GA.com. First Liberty GA.com. First Liberty Georgia, they are sponsoring our show. Uh, They have sponsored us since the day we got on air, and I cannot thank them enough for doing it. The Frost family, they're great people, and they have been deeply, deeply helpful in getting the show off the ground and i want you to go to firstlibertyga.com and check them out if you've got a small business or a medium sized business in particular and you need access to capital to grow go check out the frost family and first liberty of georgia they're building and loan they're not a bank uh, they can help your business get access to capital without a bank bureaucracy so please if you need business if you need access to capital go check out firstlibertyga.com they can work with you nationwide you don't have to be in georgia nationwide first liberty of georgia can help you so go to first liberty and thanks so much to them for sponsoring the program let them know that i sent you it's a great way to support this program i mentioned at the end of the last hour uh, that millennials are fundamentally changing part of the economy and they are golf courses turns out millennials don't play a lot of golf and i mentioned this that there is more and more data out there showing that millennials come of age later in life. Uh, They begin to view themselves as adults later in life. Uh, And as they age and begin to view themselves as adults, they in turn then latch onto things later in life. So for example, I mean, this is a big thing in radio right now. Uh, Radio demographically pays attention to 24 to 54 year olds. Well, those are, there's a problem actually. The people in radio who actually can buy the stuff on radio are the 35 to 54 segment, but advertisers like the 24 to 54 segment. And the reason they like 24 to 54 is because if they can get you hooked on a product as a 20-year-old, you will carry over into your 50s and 60s as a longtime loyal supporter of the product. But... The 20 somethings are now not recognizing their adults until their 30s. And so, you know, in talk radio in particular, uh, there's this question of how should we package talk radio? Uh, Should we be less serious? Should we be less news oriented? Should we be just more low key? Um, Should we be more comedy? How should we do this? And that works with the 20-somethings who don't recognize their adults yet because it's what they listen to in FM radio, so it's coming to talk radio, but there's a lot of psychographic profiling of millennials out there that shows when they hit their 30s and they realize they're an adult, they no longer want to like and listen to the things that they liked as a kid. I mean, again, this is another example of scripture being being right. When we were, you were a child, you acted as a child, and now you're not a child, and you put away the childish things. When the Kids realize they're adults. They put away what they viewed as childish things, and they put away that sort of radio. But uh, if you want them for the advertisers, you got to have that sort of stuff for the 20-somethings. It's just they kind of fade away from that when they realize they're an adult. They go looking for the thing that their parents had because they connect being an adult to their parents, and their parents listen to your normal-style talk radio, like what you're listening to right now, frankly. A a person who's giving you the news, keeping you company, trying to keep you informed and entertained – as opposed to the the less serious multi-voice formats uh, that younger people like, particularly in FM radio. It it becomes a real issue uh, when advertisers want the younger, younger demographic, but that younger demographic now, millennials, when they grow up, they move on from that. So where do you go? Well, golf courses are having that problem. 800 in the last year have gone out of business because millennials aren't going to play golf. It's just they are. But they're not picking up golf until they're in their late 30s now. And that's hurting the econo- e- economics of golf courses around the country. And they're trying to figure out what they can do. Well, maybe stay the course. No pun intended. It is Eric Erickson here. And I do want to talk about the Civil War. <laughs> the, the coming Civil War. Um, if there is to be a Civil War coming. Uh, this is from the Institute of Politics and Public Service at Georgetown University. They uh, Georgetown University has done a politics civility poll. Uh, They've they're using the battleground poll, which is a actually pretty good polling firm. And let me read you some of these things. Uh, three quarters or more of men and women, urban, suburban, rural voters, seven and 10 or more voters in every age cohort, white, black, and Latinx. You can tell this is academic because they use Latinx. No one actually uses the word Latinx. Uh, they use Latino, uh, white, black, and Latino voters and nearly two thirds of voters of all partisan stripes, um, say that, uh, political, racial, and class divisions are getting worse. These observations contribute to the civility polls, additional finding that the average voter believes the United States is two thirds of the way to the edge of a civil war. Now, what the, (laughs) we're two thirds of the way to the edge of a civil war. On a 0 to 100 scale with 100 being edge of a civil war, that means the response is 67.23. So we're not two thirds of the way to a civil war. We're two thirds of the way to an edge. What the hell does this even mean? Um, consistent with the civility polls finding in April, this installment of the poll reveals significant contradictions within the electorate. Voters broadly agree with the premise that our political culture has become too uncivil and lacks a focus on solutions and that common ground and compromise should be the goal of political leaders while at the same time, equal numbers want leaders to stand up to the other side and stand up to powerful special interests. These criticisms are not necessarily mutually exclusive, of course, but they do suggest a more complex and nuanced perspective on American politics. Voters see Seem to disagree on the source of incivility. Majorities of Republicans say Democratic political leaders, social media, large newspapers, CNN, and MSNBC are two are responsible. Meanwhile, majorities of Democrats say Republican political leaders, social media, Fox News, wealthy special interests, and President Trump are responsible. Independents single out just two actors: social media and President Trump. Hmm. Uh, I, I'm I'm with the independents on this. Social media and President Trump. Voters express concern and frustration about the uncivil and rude behavior of many politicians. This sentiment's across the board, but very high with women, uh, Democrats, and African Americans. Even more than rude and uncivil behavior, voters are tired of politicians in Washington who work with powerful interests instead of standing up to them. More than 8 in 10 voters believe compromise and common ground should be the goal on political leaders, And they're tired of leaders compromising their values and ideas and want leaders who'll stand up to the other side. Interestingly, this sentiment is more pronounced among Republicans and rural voters than it is among Democrats and independents, as well as suburban and urban voters independents are more likely to rank Fox News as responsible for political incivility than large newspapers like the Washington Post or the New York Times or CNN and MSNBC, and independents are as or more likely to assign blame to Democratic political leaders. You know why that is, by the way? Let me read you this again. This one's an easy one. I know this one. I, I did politics for so long. This is an easy one independents are more likely to rank Fox news as responsible for political incivility than newspapers or CNN or MSNBC and independents. The same group are more likely to blame democratic political leaders than Republican political leaders. Do you know why this one's really easy? If you think about it, who's an independent voter? Independent voters are Republicans who hate the Republican Party. But, but wait, wait, you say they blame Democrats, not Republicans? Yeah, listen to the language. Independents are as or more likely to blame Democratic political leaders as they are Republican political leaders. See, independents hate Donald Trump, but they like Mitt Romney. They like Paul Ryan. They like your average Republican leader in the House of the Senate. They like Mitch McConnell. They don't like Democrats, and they view Donald Trump as a Democrat. Independents have long viewed Donald Trump as an independent usurper of the Republican Party. They don't like him, and and they hate Fox News because Fox News is the mouthpiece of of Donald Trump. They like CNN because they're more educated. Your your average independent is a better educated white Republican, and so they like CNN because they think CNN is fair and objective. They don't like Fox News because they think the hicks and the rubes who have ruined their party watch Fox News. That's why independents are where they are. Now, let, let's let's delve into this, shall we? There, there are some things we can we can learn here. Uh, everybody wants their side to compromise, and everyone wants their side to stand up to the other side. Uh, no one wants actually no one wants compromise. Now, here's why. And it's important we understand this dynamic. And I'm going to sound like a broken record when I say this. And I realize I have said a lot in these last few weeks, I'm sounding like broken records on stuff. Uh, And in large part, it is because I know we keep picking up new stations and new people are listening. And I want to make sure we're all on the same page here. Uh, And here's where this is. We as a nation have forgotten about federalism. You know what federalism is. I mean, federalism is what the founders decided. The founders decided that we were at the time a bunch of semi-sovereign countries. You know, it, it was not until after the Civil War that the phrase the United States of America became popular. Did I assume you know, knew that. But You might not have. But yeah, uh, prior to the Civil War, uh, we were referred to as these United States. These United States. After the Civil War, it was the United States, the United States. Now, why? why? Why would that happen? Well, it was a cultural thing from the dynamics of the Civil War that the states were viewed as semi-sovereign countries, that this federation of countries got together and ceded some of their powers to a new capital, to a federal capital. And those powers were the powers designed to keep everyone on the same page in a union together against the big boys of Europe. They knew, the founders knew, that the the European countries would come over and try to pick fights with everybody. They had tried the Articles of Confederation. It didn't work in large part because it was hard to get unanimity on everything. So they went with uh, the congressional setup where they seated. Limited powers to Washington, and that's why in the Bill of Rights you had to add the 10th Amendment, that the powers not expressly given to Congress are reserved for the states. Now, the Civil War changed all of this. The Supreme Court, too, before the Civil War, made the matter— bad. In fact, I would argue that the, the Supreme Court has a greater role in playing in civil war in this country than most people want to acknowledge from the Dred Scott decision and from the Roe v. Wade decision. Part of the reason we're headed culturally where we're headed in division is because of Roe versus Wade. Abortion is way more divisive historically in this country than people want to realize. Uh, in fact, the, the arguments of the pro-abortion side, and I don't mean this offensively, but it's true, uh, the arguments of the pro-abortion side of this country mirror the arguments of the Confederate states defending slavery in the South. They it's my body. It's my property. It's not a real human being. Um, it's okay. If you don't like it, you don't have to own slaves. You don't have to have an abortion. Uh, the, these arguments are, are deeply divisive issues when you have uh, half the country looks at a an unborn child and says, this is a human being. You're taking the life of a human in the same way half the country looked at a slave and said, this is a human being. You can't do this to a human being. These are deeply divisive issues, and and abortion has a large degree to do with where we're headed. But on top of that, it goes back to federalism. In this country, for the longest time, even after the Civil War, uh, we made a conscious decision in this country to embrace federalism, that you in your state could do what you wanted to do, and someone in their state could do what they wanted to do, And uh, as long as we all agreed that you can do it and I can't stop you in your state and you can't stop me in my state, we're ceding limited power to Washington, D.C., primarily to cover trade between the states, things that must be uniform nationwide and foreign power and national defense to keep us all safe. Well, nowadays, everything is done in Washington, D.C., Kind of like, Have you heard the outrage on the right about the, the, the drag queen story time? Drag queen story time. Now, in some places, including Atlanta, this is happening. There's the, oh, what's the hipster bookstore at uh, Ponce? Uh, Ponce City Market in Atlanta. They've got a hipster bookstore there. Uh, and a hipster bookstore is a bookstore where it, it's, it's a bunch of, of weird books that you can go in and um, the, the, the godless people of, of DeKalb County go in and they let drag queens do story time for their atheist children. Okay, I don't have to take my child there. But there are some people on the right in the bro conservative movement who have decided that that drag queen story time is an abomination in the desolation of America and that it must be smited and wiped out. And uh, okay, I guess. But my thinking is that you can't stop the cultural rot uh, by just having someone pass a law and say, don't do it because they're going to do it. Um, And there's there's no you're not taking someone's life. So it doesn't really classify as, as, mur- as uh, under the murder argument. Um, essentially, you're just telling your parents that you you can't take your kid to see drag queens. Well, okay, not at the public library. They'll go elsewhere. And this, by the way, this was at a private bookstore. This was not at a library. This was at a bookstore. In some parts of the country, they're going to to libraries. Librarians, you should know, tend to be a very liberal class of people and and have been uh, at the forefront of a lot of progressive things in this country for the last hundred years. And uh, librarians bringing in drag queens to read to kids to try to normalize drag queens. And there are a lot of conservatives appalled by it. I'm appalled by it. But my solution is not to pass legislation to bar it, but just to not go to it. Um, but there are people who say, well, my taxpayer dollars are being used and I don't want my taxpayer dollars being used. And I get that. And your community should be allowed to say no to it. And a majority in your community should be allowed to say no to it. But unfortunately we do have with liberals in this country, the, the idea that taxpayers everywhere should be able to do this and force the rest of you to go along with it as well. So it's not just that your community can't have drag queen story time, but that your community must have it and must pay for it to cater to a small number of people in your community. And see what this is, is we've broken down communities of interest. Uh, Everything is fought for at the national level now. Everything is decided in Washington, D.C. Everything is decided typically by liberal bureaucrats, and so everything is decided against conservatives. And that pisses off conservatives. That's why you have data that shows... Everyone wants more compromise, but among rural voters and conservatives, they want actually fighting the other side. Well, of course they want fighting the other side. The other side wants conservatives to compromise with them and conservatives are saying, hell no, I'm not compromising with you on drag queen story time. I don't want it in my community. Which causes all sorts of problems. That's why we need to go back to the Federalist model. Where you and your state can be conservative and Christian and they and their states can be progressive and liberal and uh, the conservative states will ultimately breed them out of existence because conservatives and religious people tend to have more kids than progressive people who wait too late in life to get married and that's okay. But right now everybody's focused on Washington DC and that's kind of a problem. So this is where I become the broken record. Seek the welfare of the city in which you live. What what we're doing, and the reason we're becoming more divisive, and, and to tie all of this hour together, uh, there's the, the article about time morphing. Time is algorithmic now. And it's not just time is algorithmic, community is algorithmic. Because you go on Facebook, or you go on Twitter, or you go on Instagram, you go on Snapchat, you go on TikTok, which you should not get on TikTok. It's blocked at my house. Um You're going to algorithmically see things that the algorithm thinks you want to see. You go on YouTube, the same thing happens. And you begin to develop your views and your community based on the algorithm and not based on the interaction with the actual people. And so your community values begin to be shaped by the algorithm. The computer is shaping you. You're not shaping the computer anymore. And so you go online and you find people who sound like you and think like you and look like you and talk like you and support the same candidates as you and like the same entertainment as you, and suddenly you're in a bubble. You don't have any way to relate to the outside world anymore except out your front door, and you're not going out your front door because you're staring at your screen. And your screen becomes a great part of you. And your community is within your screen. It's not within your actual community. You know, the person who's your friend online is not going to bring you a meal when you're sick. Your next door neighbor might, your church might, but you're not going to church anymore. That's one of the conundrums in all the polling right now is there are a lot of people who claim to be evangelical in this country who do not set foot in a church anymore. It is an ethnic identifier. It is a cultural identifier. These are people who are in their bass boat on a Sunday morning, but they love Jesus. Just not enough to show up and visit with you on Sunday with everybody else. But they're culturally identified as conservative, but ultimately they're not willing to stand up for those conservative values, one of which is the scriptural command to seek the welfare of the community in which you're in exile, and there you'll find your welfare. They're trying to find their welfare in Washington, D.C., and everything becomes about Washington, D.C. Washington, D.C. becomes the hill to die on. And so everything, no matter how small in Washington, D.C., is part of that fight. Who cares about the homeless bum down the street? That's the government's job anyway. we got to fight in Washington, D.C., except that's actually your job is the homeless man down the street. You will have greater happiness in life. If you commit to focus on your community than on Washington DC, you tune into someone like me. I tell you what's going on in the country. I tell you what's going on in your state. And then you go back and do your, you've stayed informed. You've stayed informed. I've made it easy for you to get involved. If you need to get involved, But otherwise, you're going to the soup kitchen to help. You're you're going to your church to help. You're going to your local library with your kids to help. Not to drag queen story time, but actually getting involved in your community and using community resources. One of the problems is that Washington has grown so much that everyone, including churches, abdicate responsibility to Washington, D.C. Everyone wants Washington to fix their problems. No one wants to fix the problem themselves. You see your road. My neighbor, for God's sakes, my neighbor the other day was out. There were cracks in the road, and he was actually putting down tar himself to cover over the cracks why he didn't want to wait for the government to do it he was doing it himself god bless him. but most people would have the cracked up road and wait for the government to come take care of it instead of themselves now admittedly in some cases the government would come and you would get in trouble for doing it but not in this case but people want to outsource their entire life to Washington, D.C. these days, and they get pissed off when someone disagrees with them and decides they want their life outsourced in their way, as opposed to just saying, you know what, I, I live in Macon, Georgia. By God, I'm going to focus on Macon, Georgia. And I'm going to go to my school board meetings, and I'm going to go to my city council meetings, and I'm going to talk to them about the issues, and I'm going to oppose their legislation, and I can't control Washington, D.C., except when I go vote. Nobody thinks like that anymore. Nobody thinks about the local homeless shelter. No one thinks about the local battered women shelter. No one thinks about the local animal shelter. No one thinks about the local school board. No one thinks about the local library volunteers. No one thinks about volunteering on election day to be a poll worker. They're fixated on Washington. And in that fixation, people become convinced that the nation is about to head to civil war. Because the only fight that matters is the Washington fight, and we're a 50-50 nation. If we're a 50-50 nation and everyone's focused on Washington and not their local community, the local communities are falling apart. They look at the local community and say, my God, Washington, D.C. is tearing apart my community. Why? It's the progressives or it's the conservatives. They don't care. No, no, it's it, Washington, D.C. is not causing your local community fall apart. Washington, D.C. is not causing your opioid crisis. It's your community. You should pay attention there. But nobody wants to because it's not as sexy as Washington. You don't get the parade on Fox News. You don't get the coverage on Fox. You don't get it on CNN. You don't get it on MSNBC. The exposure's not there. And, and that it becomes the problem. If you focus on your community, you have an amazing ability. And frankly, frankly here, here's the thing. Let, let, me, let me wrap this up. I need to go to break. But if you're a Christian... If you got an eschatological view of end times, you understand that the world is against you, the world hates you, and uh, the world is coming to get you, and the world is gonna be mighty successful until that last day. So you might as well seek the welfare of your local community to bide yourself some time and pad the cushion on persecution in your local community because Washington's not gonna help you. But you engage in your local community as a Christian and show that, you know, Christians actually aren't this insulated group of, of people who are just opposed to drag queen story time, and abortion. They're actually there to help the homeless. They're there to help the needy. They're there to help the widows, the orphans, the poor. You can earn yourself some goodwill in your local community in a way you're not in Washington, D.C., because even the Republicans in Washington don't really like the icky Christians up there. So seek the welfare of your community. And and instead of saying we're on the verge of civil war, or I'm sorry, we're two-thirds of the way to the edge of a civil war, whatever that is, well, at least in your community, protect yourself and protect your community from the discord in Washington, D.C., I'm looking at the clock. I'm in a hurry. I forgot we play that audio. Sorry. Okay. Um, so my boss says uh, th- this pizza sounds good, but he doesn't have a dough hook in his mixer. You can make it by hand. I'm, I'm putting the, the hand instructions in. Here's the thing you need to know about this dough, though, is that when you dump it into the sheet pan, it's going to restrict because of the gluten. So you got to let it rest for about 10 minutes. Then you use your fingers and you massage it to spread it to the corners, and it'll start pulling back a little more. And so you let it rest for another 10 minutes and you get it to the edges and then you stick it in the oven and you par bake it, which means you bake it till it's just set, but it's not brown. And then you take it out and you top it and you put it back in the oven and you let it bake until everything is bright. It's good. If you want this dough recipe, I am... I will be hitting send within the next 10 minutes. I'm just finishing it up. I'm proofreading. Uh, text the word recipe to 33777, and this weekend you can break bread with someone. You know, I am a big believer in the idea of breaking bread with people, and I know it sounds sounds kind of cheesy, but I don't think we as a people, and, and I'm terrible about it in, in my house as well, and I admit, uh, given my schedule, doing five hours of radio a day, and then on the weekend you got Little League and in and soccer and, and Everything else, it's hard to have people over to your house. It is. But I really do think one of the problems we as a country have is we don't relate to other people in our community. And we don't even have friends over anymore. Uh, If we have friends over, we, we go out with them to a restaurant. We're not breaking bread in our house. And, you know, we, we have this problem in our communities, in our homes where we think, oh my gosh, I haven't vacuumed. I haven't dusted. The house is a wreck. I've been at work all week. I don't want to clean up. So the place is a pigsty. I'm not having people over. Here's the amazing thing. Their house is messy too. They don't care, but they're not actually cooking either. So cook, cook and have them over. Bring the kids over. Let them mess the house up further and just enjoy each other's company. We don't, as a society, spend a lot of time enjoying each other's company anymore. Uh, breaking bread, and that's one reason I do the recipe, is is gives you a chance to break bread, even with just your family sitting around the table having a conversation. We don't even do that as a society anymore, and that's why we seem to be coming apart at the seams. We're not talking to each other anymore, just in casual conversation, not about politics, but life. Get to know each other around the table, breaking bread. Enjoy life together. That matters.